Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Well, I'm going to do an audacious thing. No laughing, please, Pastor Alex. But I'm going to try and get through four points. Feeling, I'm, wow, I'm feeling a little more faith in this room. When I say that at the Eastlake campus, they all laugh and fall off their chairs and roll on the floor and point and say, yeah, right. I feel a little insulted, but you guys got it. You guys have got it. Well, the title of my message this morning, believe it or not, is In Viaggio with God. And I was going to do In Viaggio con Deo, but um, I thought that might be too confusing. So In Viaggio with God literally means to be on vacation with God, on vacation with God. Um, one of the things that, that, that you may or may not know is that um, the whole month of July, um, I took my bride and my kids and we went to Italy for three weeks and Germany for one week. I didn't want to go to Germany, but Leanne didn't want to be away for a month. So the only way I could get her away from a month was I had to give her a win. She wanted to go for, to Germany for one week. And I said, well, I've already booked everything in Italy, so we'll have to add it. So that was the way that I got, got, my, got my month away. And uh, it, was, it was such a contrast, and you, you'll hear, hear that in a moment, um, Italy and Germany. But it was just, there was just, getting away, let me just say this. And for us, and I want to just put it out there for you to consider, that I found that if I don't get away, I don't get away. staycation is good if you're really, really disciplined. I'm not that disciplined. I'll check a text message, you know, my phone, zip, zip, and I'm thinking, oh, and then it's a, a question, a crisis, a situation. Hey, I just need your counsel. I just need you, uh, you know, or we go out. And so, so I found that when we get away, we actually get away. We get away. And uh, sometimes you can be away from busy and you can be away from responsibility and you can be away from duty. But one of the things that we discovered is that uh, God goes with you on vacation and you're wise to never have a vacation from God. You're wise to never have a vacation from God. So some of the, some of the ways that it worked out, we were just laying on a beach, laying on a beach, Pastor Pam, in, in, a, in, a, in a chair, looking at the ocean, feeling happy, feeling happy. And then I look down and I see a gentleman who is from San Diego. <laughs> and he comes over and beautiful, God has touched his heart. He gets very, very tearful. And he said a year ago, he was sitting in this campus and we were playing the baptism video. And because he was raised Catholic, he was baptized as a baby. But he heard that that wasn't your decision. Someone else made that decision. Baptism is a decision you make that you want to be identified as a follower of Jesus Christ. He said he's felt so convicted. He's felt so convicted. He said, is there any way you would baptize me here? So the next morning at 7 a.m., I meet him on the beach and there's about 40 or 50 of his family and I'm, I'm like, where am I? And then... 
I got to preach to the whole family who were kind of trying to argue with me. He was already baptized, you know, <laughs> as a baby. And so I'm trying to explain. So we had this kind of back and forth. It was the most interactive preaching. They were yelling stuff out. And so I had to keep going back. And, and, uh, so, and, then, a, and then a crowd gathered because they'd never seen anybody, you know, an adult baptism. They're like, what is going on? Here's with this crowd on the beach. And we got to preach and witness. And then I got to pray for somebody who had been diagnosed with a, with a cancer thing and power of God came and I'm like, wow, you're in Italy? And uh, I thought, maybe he lives in Italy. I don't blame him. And, and then from there, we, we, uh, when we went up to, to Germany, um, one, of our, one of my dearest friends, you can't do ministry without friendships. Um, I've, I've, just, I've literally heard some of the dumbest counsel and advice from people ministry's lonely and you're out there alone and you can't rely on anybody. And, and I'm like, wow, keep going, Mr. Heart Attack. Keep going, Mr. Breakdown. And keep going, Mr. Burnout. Um, you need friends. You need friends. And so one of our dearest friends is Pastor Mike and Lisa Kai in Hawaii. They have the Inspire Church. And, uh, and I get this, just get this message on my phone, brah bro, yo, you in Italy? And I said, um, well, we were. He goes, I just landed in Venice. I said, oh, my gosh, what a bummer. We were there, but, you know, we're, we're, we're long gone now. He goes, yeah, on Tuesday we go, no, on uh, Thursday we go to um, Austria, and then on the weekend we're going to be in, in Germany. And I said, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. We're going to be in Germany. He's like, no way, bro, no way. Where are you going to be? And, uh, and I said, well, we're going to be in the you know, town I was born. I didn't even bother telling him because I thought, how's, how's he going to know? And he goes, we're, we're going to be in Munich. I said, okay, well, you know, it's about four and a half hours from where we're going to be. But wow, so far yet, so, you know, so close. <laughs> so then he goes, then I get another text message about an hour later going, bro, bro, they just canceled the Munich section. Uh, instead, we're going to be in this place. Have you ever heard of it called Lake Constance? And I'm like, shut up. I said, we are going to be in Lake Constance. He's like, no way, bro, no way. <laughs> and uh, so true story, Lake Constance. He, I said, where are you staying? And he said, they were staying at the, the Hilton. So I, I, I Googled Hilton and it was a nine-minute walk, 11-minute drive, <laughs> nine-minute walk, 11-minute drive, nine-minute walk because the streets are so... So, from, from, so we, we had the night where we're... Uh, eating schnitzel and drinking beer and just connecting, like laughing that the Hawaiian and the San Diegan meet in Lake Constance in Germany. And it was just, it was just like God just saying, hey, I got you, I'm with you, I got you, I'm with you. The next day, the next day, we go to Leanne's favorite coffee shop. So one of my responsibilities, one of my duties as a husband is to always make sure my wife has good coffee. So whatever, whatever city, whatever town, whatever place I land, because come on, how many people know the, the, the proverb, Proverbs 32, verse 7, that a happy wife, happy life. There is no Proverbs 32, but if there was, Proverbs 32, 7 would say happy wife, happy life. I mean, you can just, it's probably in there somewhere, but so, so, I, so my, my responsibility, wherever we land, the first thing I Google, Pastor Alex, is, you know, coffee. And you need to understand your greatest gift are Aussies and Kiwis. Aussies and Kiwis. Number one, nobody is as sarcastic as Aussie and Kiwis. Number two, nobody is as blunt 
as Aussies and Kiwis. Mate, his coffee tastes like beep. You know, and they'll, they'll tell you, they'll be really honest. And, and, and they're coffee snobs down under. Now, if you want to start an argument and walk away, it's awesome. Get an Aussie and a Kiwi in the room, and then you just say, hey, who invented the flat white? Was it New Zealand or Australia? <laughs> and just walk away, because they'll be going at it, because the Kiwis say that they invented it, the Aussies say they invented it, and the truth is the Kiwis did, but the Aussies say they perfected it. So, you, you know, even if, even if they agree. Anyway, and so... So, but there's all these Aussies that go on to, you know, travel advisor and you just look down and they'll tell you where the best coffee is in any city, any city, whether it's Germany, Italy, all over the world. And so I find this coffee shop and, and I take Leanne, she's like, oh my gosh, it's the best coffee. And when she says it's the best coffee, I say, well, I did my research. Oh, you're the best husband. <laughs> Stop it. Well, no, I didn't mean like right away, just, anyway, and so, so I take her into the coffee shop. We go into this coffee shop, and it's a coffee shop in Constance, Germany. And I, Leanne gets a table because it was, it was pretty full, and I walk up to the counter, and I hear this, no way, no way. And it's an Aussie accent, and I look over, and it's the pastors of Hillsong Global. And if you know anything about what's gone on with Hillsong, they've been through hell the last three years. And they just happened to be in Constance at that particular coffee shop at that particular time. So we knew, and so what was going to be like a little 30-minute coffee, read our Bible date, ends up a three and a half hour just loving on, pouring into, ministering to, prophesying. We get out of there and we're walking through the mall and this woman comes up and she's like, hey, I heard you speaking in English. Can I, do you mind if I ask you a question? And I'm like, no, please go ahead. And she's like, do you think that a woman who works as hard as a man should also be like honored like with, with her, her salary, like that of a man? May I ask your wife, do, do you think this is a problem? And my, my wife goes, well, gosh, if I was really honest with you, um, I, it's not a problem for me because, you know, I live in, in California and I live in, in America and, and uh, women have every opportunity and in our church. Um, you know, my husband champions me in our church like he fought so that, you know, our women can minister and preach and, and have platform and expression and opportunity. And so this, this girl's like all bewildered and the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, ask her name. And I said, what's your name, darling? She says, my name is Danielle. I said, Danielle? She says, yeah. I said, Danielle, Danielle, do you know what your name means? She goes, oh, I think it means, I think it means um, God is my judge. I said, that's right. And then the word of the Lord came to me. And I said, sweetheart, I said, all your friends, all they care about is going out Friday night, going out Saturday night, going to the clubs, partying. I said, and you think there's something wrong with you because you look at the world and you see it's broken. They, they look beyond the broken. They, they don't care that it's broken. They're just looking for the next drink, the next party, the next discotheque, the next fun. She starts bawling. I mean, ugly bawling. Like she's got, it looks like she's now trying out to be the new Alice Cooper. That's what, you know, it's like. And, uh, and so then, then we just begin to prophesy over her. And because what you have on the inside of you is from God, and you're, 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 you're a person that wants to, to right wrongs and, 
And, and because of that, you sometimes feel isolated. And sometimes you feel like you don't fit in. You're not meant to fit in. You're meant to stand out. And she is bawling, going, who are you? Who are you? You are angels. God sent his angels. to." And so we just thought, we'll leave you with that, darling. And, we just, and it was just everywhere we went. And then I got to preach. I got to preach in uh, Willingen-Schwenningen, which sounds, it was very German, Willingen-Schwenningen. And, uh, and the, the pastor there has five campuses, and one of those is in Tuttling, in the town where I was born. And he said that morning they were broadcasting the service directly into the town I was born, which was like a 25-minute drive away. So we didn't organize that. I didn't organize But the whole time it was like God was with us on vacation. So this morning I want to um, give you four points in, oh, dear Jesus, in the few minutes I have left. I love you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Num- number one. Number one is mistakes make maestro. In mistakes make maestro. What does that mean? Well, um, when when we got to to Italy, the first place we went to was Venezia, Venice. When we got to Venice, my wife had organized for us to go to this little island, and Venice is literally just it, it's a city that is built in, on the water. They would literally dam up the water, dig down into the mud till they hit rock, and then they put concrete, and then they put bricks, and then they let the water back in. So it's canals, or there's no there's no wheels. You land in the plane on tarmac, and instead of getting a cab or a shuttle or a taxi, you get into a boat to go to your hotel. It's crazy, and you never see any wheels on the entire island. It's all just boats, or you're walking. It's awesome. And, but Leanne had organized for us to go to this place called Murano. And on Murano, Murano is the place where they invented glass, where glass was invented. And so we're going to go to this exit, this kind of this tour guide thing where um, we'll sit in and we actually get to blow glass and, and um, see this, you know, th- over thousand-year tradition and if I was honest with you, I'm like, oh, I really don't want to, I'm jet lagged. I really, really, we're going to see someone, wow, you made a wine glass. Oh, <laughs> there's another wine glass. Wow. That's a wine glass, but a different shape. That's a wine flute for champagne toast. Wow. Oh, this is so, no, no, go ahead, do another. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I was thinking. We get there, and if, if we can go to the, the next pictures of the... We, we get there, and it is just mind-blowing. I think... Here we go. It, is, it was unlike the art. And then we begin to find out that, that kings had in their highest courts were the artisans, were the glass blowers. They made the chandeliers, the, the windows, the, the, the most stunning art. In fact, they, it was invented here and it was so protected that, that people would come from all over the world. Merchants would come from all over the world, infiltrate, and then want to leave and start their own thing somewhere else. And they would catch them, cut off their hands and gouge out their eyes so that, to protect the industry of, of glass blowing. Because people come from all over the world. It, it made Venice, it made Italy famous. And so um, I'm talking with our tour guide, uh, whose last name was Fernazio, and he was telling us that his last name, Fernazio, is where we get the word furnace, 
because his family were for the last thousand years were glass blowers. And he says, but I don't want to be a glass blower because it's, it's 10, 12 hours a day. You have to start when you're 14. You're standing in front of a, an oven that is 1300 degrees centigrade. It's so hot. It's so long. Nobody wants to, to do it. And you only make minimum wage until you become a maestro. And the word maestro means a master or an expert. And then he says this, and he says, it takes 40 years of mistakes to become a maestro. He says, when we get there, you're going to meet a man who September, which is this month, September will become a maestro. And all of the, the glass and the art that he's been doing for 40 years, all of a sudden that stuff's going to start selling in not just the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even into the millions because his, his glass-blowing art will now be seen as that from a, a master or a maestro glass-blower. Well, we get there and we're touring. If we can go to the next slide, we're, we're touring. I mean, the, the stuff that they were doing was just the whole, the two hours went like that. And we're walking through, I'm telling you, Kayla, it just blew your mind, the things that they did. But the word of the Lord came to me and he says, how did he become a maestro? 40 years of mistakes, not 40 years of success, not 40 years of brilliance, not 40, 40 years of making mistakes. It, 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 it was such a, such a word for me because we, we felt very early on that uh, we didn't want to depart from the biblical blueprint which is go into all the world and make disciples. All we've been hearing for the last, you know, 20 years is souls, souls. We're going to get souls saved, souls saved. And absolutely, discipleship is much easier when you get people saved in the first place. But, but nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say, hey, just, you know, abandon everything. Anything I said, you know, it's feel free to water it down if it gets souls saved. He says, go into all the world, make disciples, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. So don't compromise my word because you're not just meant to be getting people saved, you're meant to be making disciples. Discipleship begins at the place of brokenness. In Matthew chapter 5, there's a beautiful story where Jesus calls the first disciples and, you know, the Bible says that... Uh, there was a miraculous catch of fish, launch out of the deep. And when Peter sees the fish, he falls on his knees and he says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a, you know, I'm a sinful man. When he saw the miraculous catch of fish. And then Jesus says to him, uh, I think it's verse, verse 8 to 10. Jesus says to him, do not be afraid, Simon. From now on, you're going to be a fisher of men. But when Peter saw the miraculous catch of fish, he falls down and says, you know, depart from me because, because I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, Jesus doesn't say, yeah, you're right, and here's the, here are your sins. Jesus says, you are a sinner, but let me tell you, I can work with you. I can't work with people that come out with fig leaves, trying to pretend like nothing's happened, you know, hiding behind their, their fig leaf facade. But I can work with somebody that says, hey, you need to depart from me. I've got junk under the trunk. I've got stuff going on. I've got discipleship begins at the point of weakness. Now, can I just tell you, 40 years of mistakes, it really, really hit me because the other criticism that we get all the time is that, oh, you know, um, pastors tell us all this time, I just think, pastor, you're too transparent. You guys are too transparent. You guys are too transparent. 
And I don't know how to do it any other way. I don't know, I don't know how to do it. I, I feel like I made all these mistakes. Why would I waste them? Why would I waste all the mistakes I've made when I could use them as teaching moments? Stephen Furtick says, if you preach on your weaknesses and your struggles and your mistakes, you'll never run out of material. That's why every Sunday I've got another sermon. Do you know there are two teachers in life, wisdom and pain? Did you know that? Wisdom and pain are the two teachers in life. If you ignore wisdom, guess who's ready to come to teach? And the problem is most people ignore wisdom and then when pain turns up, they just numb the pain. They numb the pain. Pain of loss, pain of shame, pain of learn from pain. Oh, I don't like the feeling. No, you're not meant to like the feeling. Nobody is meant to like the feeling of, I made a stupid error, I made a stupid mistake, I went into business with it, I knew something was wrong, but I just, I kind of rushed it, and now I'm facing a loss, now I'm facing a chat, and it, man, it's just, it's keeping me up at night. No, 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 what you do with pain is you actually converse and say, pain, please forgive me. I should have listened to wisdom. Wisdom, I'm so sorry, I ignored you, and now I, I know that your backup, your backup guy is pain pain god bless you but i really don't like you so please help me to learn right now from you help me to convert this pain help me to convert these negative feelings into lessons so that i don't have to meet with you again so that i can actually meet with the one that god sent wisdom if you don't learn from pain mistakes mistakes are not Blemishes, mistakes are education. Every mistake I've made, I've learned from. The, the, the first home that we built, we hired a guy who had never built a home. What the heck was I thinking? But he wanted to be a project manager and builder, and so he offered for a fee to project manage and build our house halfway through I'm watching the progress of our house and then I saw the money and I'm like, I hope he knows what he's doing because right now we're spending more money than we're seeing progress. <coughs> My wife's pregnant with baby number two and sure enough, he runs out of our money and just walks off the job. So I've got a brand new baby coming and an unfinished house. It was painful, painful. I would have to get up at, at 4 a.m., go and work till 8.30, drive to the office, do my 9 to 5 at the office at 5, race home, put my work clothes back on, eat something with Leanne, kiss my son Jordan, put him to bed at 7, and then go back down and work till midnight, 1 a.m., go home, sleep for a few hours, get up at 4, and I had to do that because no one else was going to fix my house, and so I had to do it with, with my hands. And it was incredibly painful. The senior pastor's wife hated the fact that we were building this house. And, and so she would pull up every morning at 8.45 to make sure that, that I'd left to go to the office. And I'll never forget when we finally finished the house. And it was a beautiful house in a really beautiful neighborhood. I remember the, the senior associate pastor was very jealous of 
the fact that they lived in a, in, a, in a not so nice area and we built this house and I was the lowest paid staff member. And, uh, and he comes up to me very, very smug. He goes, I'll bet you'll never do that again. And I remember just turning to him with great joy and saying, oh, I'd be an, I'd be an idiot not to. He's like, what? I said, mate, let me tell you, first chance I get, I'm going to build another house. Because I just lost hundreds of thousands of dollars on how not to do it. I just learned painfully who not to trust. I just learned the hard way how to and how not to build a house. First chance I get. When we got to Sydney, first chance we got, we bought land, built a house and doubled our money and, uh, and you know, never looked back, looked back since. Mistakes, mistakes are what make you a master. Number two, second thing we learned was don't settle for religion. Don't settle for religion. Religion is a substitute for your faith. And it's really interesting, in Romans chapter 1, verse 8, the Apostle Paul talks, about, talks to the church in Rome, which is Italy, and he says, your reputation, your faith has gone out all over the world. Everybody talks about what great faith you Romans have. And it's true, the Roman Empire lasted almost a 1,000 years. It was built on God, it was built on fidelity, on marriage, and built on family. And for almost a thousand years it lasted. It wasn't until it got so corrupted on the inside that, 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 that she, she came undone. But because of, because of her, her devoutness and because of her faith, so what the devil has done, if you go to, to Italy, he has substituted the power of faith with religion. They have religion. What is religion? Religion is where you have all the accoutrements of Christianity. You have all the rituals, you have all the garb, you have the traditions, but there's no power. The most religious people in Jesus's day were not his disciples, were the Pharisees. The Pharisees were religious. You, could, you knew that they were religious. The Bible says that they, they would stand on the street corners and they would pray big, loud, long prayers in the public. They would make their phylacteries. A phylactery was, it was a little box that they would wear that had scriptures in it just to show how godly and how devoted they were to the word of God. He says they make their phylacteries broad and their prayers long and they, they want the best greetings and the seating in the marketplace. And, but but the, the, the Pharisees, they, they, they would tithe even on what they, the herbs they brought in from their garden. They were legalistic. They, they were religious zealots, but they had no power. They had no power. Jesus came with power. Jesus came with power, but he didn't look religious. He, he was the carpenter's son. He doesn't even look like one of them. They had religion. Jesus had power. Religion is the devil's substitute. We went into church after church. In fact, when we were in Venice, I was sitting there reading my Bible, and the waiter came and brought, brought um, uh, our coffee and he looked at me, he says, what are you reading? I said, I'm reading the Bible. He says, oh, we need more people reading the Bible. And then he points him behind us with this stunning cathedral. He says, when Venice was small in population, the churches were full. He says, now Venice, very, very populated and the churches are empty. Only tourists come, only tourists come. And so the people had, the devil had sent this great nation this, this, this incredible people, a substitute called, substitute called religion. 
we would go into to places. In fact, if you go to Jeremiah 44 and just throw that scripture up and just let it circle behind me, I'm going to just paraphrase real quick. Jeremiah 44, what's happened in Jeremiah 44 is uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has, has destroyed the temple, burned Jerusalem and taken the captives captive. There's a remnant left behind in Jerusalem to care for the vineyards and the, the orchards and the fields. And Jeremiah's word was, don't resist, submit to, to Nebuchadnezzar, you will live. After 70 years, the land will be inhabited again. Do not go down to Egypt. So these little rascals instead go down to Egypt. When they get down to Egypt, they, they say, we, we are not only at home in Egypt, but we feel comfortable with Egypt because for the last number of years, we've been worshiping the queen of heaven, Isis. We've been worshiping her. We've been worshiping the queen of heaven, burning incense to her and making these cakes in her honor. When we went into the churches over there, you would see, uh, uh, you would see Jesus hanging on the cross and in front of Jesus, there'd be maybe one or two candles burning. But then you, when you went over to Mary, who never looked like that, but there's Mary with a crown on her head, the Madonna, and you would see hundreds of candles burning incense to Mary. Our wedding anniversary is August 15. August 15 is a public holiday, not because it's our wedding anniversary in Italy, but because they say that that was when Mary ascended into heaven. Wow. Okay, that's not in the scriptures, but go ahead. So Mary ascended, and apparently when she ascended into heaven, she was crowned the queen of heaven. Not in the Bible, not in the scriptures. So the devil has sent this nation a substitute. We went to a church in Loreto, and one of the locals was telling us, because I'm like, man, what are all these? They've got all these kind of round baskets filled with sand. And they said, oh, that's because only the women go in, because in, in Italy, religion is really seen as the, the woman's thing. And the men, they stand outside and they smoke cigarettes and they talk business and that's where they put their cigarettes while the women go in for the church service for the mass and then they come out. At every single place, you always saw Mary higher than Jesus. In fact, when we're in Milan, if we can circle through the, 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 the next lot of pictures, in Milan, the biggest church in the town square there has a golden statue of Mary, the queen of heaven. On, on the very, very top. So, yeah, so you see, this is what you see everywhere. You see Mary um, and people burning incense to Mary, but there's one of a cathedral and on top of this stunning, you never see Jesus. You don't see Jesus anywhere. Yeah, that one there. And right at the very, very top, you, you can just see it right up on, on this one here. That's a gold statue of Mary with a garland of 12 stars, a crown on her head. Don't settle for religion. Religion is a form, it looks like Christianity is without power. You know what religion is? Religion is Adam and Eve's fig leaves. It's, it's the external entrapments. It's the external accompaniments to say, I've got it all together. Don't settle for religion. There's no power in religion. The devil wants you to become religious. Oh, dear Jesus. All right. You can hear music behind me. I can hear music. Sweet, sweet. All right. Uh, number three is the treasure of hospitality. Is this helping anybody? The treasure of hospitality. Treasure of hospitality. Uh, again, Romans chapter 12 is amazing. And in Romans chapter 12, it talks about hospitality. It says, give yourself to hospitality. And go down, I think it's somewhere around maybe 12 or 13, verse 12 or 13. 
It talks about hospitality. Hospitality was, was, was incredible in Italy. Um, and again, this, feel free to, to circle through, uh, cycle through those, those photos. We, 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 get to, we get to Venice, we, you know, we're jet lagged. We're gonna, the, the goal they say is to try and stay up that day. Don't sleep even though you wanna sleep, stay up. And then when you hit the hay that night, you'll sleep really well and it's much easier to acclimate. So we're trying to stay up as long as we can. But we didn't make any dinner reservations, and it, you know it's summer and it's packed. So, so I'm walking, I'm walking along, and I look up, and I'm taking f- photos of just all these awesome little cafes. Everything is fresh, fresh. Everything is outdoors. So I walk up, and this guy goes, "Buonasera, buonasera, quanto pesorne?" And uh, I'm like, "Oh, otto." There's eight of us, and he's like, "Come on in, come on in." And he says, uh, and I'm looking and it's packed. And he's like, he can accommodate eight people. I'm like, how's he going to accommodate eight people? It's packed. And uh, he goes, cinco minutos, you know, five minutes, just five minutes. He says, you want, you want uh, Prosecco? You want Prosecco? I'll get you Prosecco. Cinco minutos. So we're waiting there. And so he brings out champagne and Leanne like loves champagne. And so we're like, this is pretty good. And, uh, and I'm looking thinking, he doesn't even have a table past a summer. I ain't complaining. I got free champagne. So we're, so we're just kind of chatting for the next probably 10 or 15 minutes. And then finally, you know, people get up and they clear the table. Come on, and we, we sit down. And the food was stellar. Everywhere we went, they're trying to get you to come in. They're trying to welcome you in. We get to Germany. We get to Germany. If you know anything about Europe, the Germans are very different to the Italians. In Germany, everything is precise. Everything will run like clockwork in here. So Germans. So this is a true story. We're, we're in Constance. It's pouring down rain and we are starving. And so some of the restaurants were closing at night. Restaurants don't get going in Italy till nine. And then I find one on my phone that doesn't close till 9.30. And it's about 9, 10, 9.15. So we do this power walk. We get there. It's just before 9.20. And, and, and there's tables everywhere. And I said, oh, you know, a, a table for, for, for six. And, uh, and they're like, oh, um, let me just check with, with my colleague if the kitchen is still open. I said, oh, the sign says 9.30 and it's 9.20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know this, but... I have to check with my colleague if the kitchen is still open. I'm like, no, no, your sign says 9.30. See here, 9.20. Yeah, yeah, I will, ju- I will come right back to you. Comes back. No, I'm sorry, um, the chef on the kitchen is closed. You can have a little drink or something if you like. I'm like, I don't want to drink. It's the kid. Like, What? The Germans were so precise, they weren't hospitable. The Italians, bono, come on in, like benvenuto, like they, they just, they love you. It was like, you felt awesome. I say all of that to say this, that the, the, the pain of loneliness, if you are in church and you feel lonely, The reason you feel lonely is because you're waiting for an invitation that God is waiting for you to give. We've lived in New Zealand. 
back to Australia and then San Diego. When we moved to New Zealand, we knew nobody, but my wife would tell me I've invited all these people over. And I'm like, I'm meeting them for the first time. I've never met them before, but my wife was just determined she wasn't gonna do life alone. The Bible says, give yourself to hospitality. In fact, the word hospitality means the love of strangers, the love and the care of strangers. And so Leanne, was, she was always front foot. When we came to San Diego and even to this day, she's always having people over. I don't know two greater people that do hospitality than Dr. Matt and Michaela. They're always having people over, always having people in their homes. Too often, I've, I've, I've seen this in, in church, people saying, well, you know, nobody asks us out for lunch. Nobody's inviting. Why don't you be the invitation? I guarantee if you say to somebody, hey, would you like to come out to lunch, my treat? You're going to have more friends than you can poke a stick at. Hospitality is the, the Romans, the, 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 Europe, the Italians have hospitality. We learned the power of hospitality, the power of the table. And the last one, number four, is build a life beyond a personal legacy. What does that mean? Matthew 5.16, Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God in heaven. Watch this. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God. Don't fall into the legacy lie. The legacy lie says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and give you some street cred. You're, you're the, we went to the Colosseum, the Colosseum. It seated 60,000 people. It had elevators. When we walked through the Colosseum, they showed us where they could fill it with water and they could even do reenact battles on ships in the Colosseum. I mean, it was a, it was a spectacle. There's not one nail and not one piece of mortar or concrete it's all stones. The, the engineering is unbelievable. And uh, the, the name of the architect that built the Colosseum, we don't know. Never put his name on it. To this day, 2,000 years later, nobody knows the name of the architect. But when we were there, it was about 98 to 100 degrees with humidity. There was a, the, the line was four hours long to get in. It was packed. And they're like that. It's packed every day for people to get in and see. And everyone's like, ooh, and ah, and snapping pictures. It stands 2,000 years later. We don't even know who the architect was. When we went to Milan, we saw the painting of the Last Supper. Uh, the, the, they, they tried to bomb the church where the Last Supper is and all the walls except the wall where the Last Supper was painted fell down. It was perfectly intact. And, uh, and, and, and you know, we know it's Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci that painted the Last Supper. But if you look at it, I'm like, how, how do they know? And they said, well, he never put his signature on it, but he does have a subliminal secret signature. He had this fascination with knots and his name means something to do with knots. And so you'll notice in the bottom corner of the tablecloth, the tablecloth is tied in a knot. And even on the Mona Lisa, 
Even on the Mona Lisa, there's, there's his, his, but these guys, they said Leonardo da Vinci was very, very determined. He never wanted to ever get the glory. In fact, it took him four years to complete the fresco, to complete the, the, the Last Supper. And the reason it took four years is because he couldn't, just, just the first time he had it finished, the Duke came in and says, my God, my God. He said, the cup, the cup of Christ. He says, my eyes are immediately drawn to the cup. And Leonardo da Vinci had painted this, a golden chalice for Jesus because, you know, it's the Last Supper communion. And he says, my eyes are immediately drawn to the cup. At that, Leonardo da Vinci gets incensed and he picks up his paint palette and he just starts stabbing with his brush. And he goes over and starts slashing, 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 slashing at the cup. And he turns his paintbrush towards the Duke, sticks the paintbrush in his face and says, Christ is the centerpiece. I'll have nothing detract from him. And then blotted out the, the whole section and then repainted it with a much more humble cup because Christ had to be the centerpiece. We saw cathedrals, we saw gardens, we saw bridges, the Ponte Vecchia in, in Florence, the, 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 the fountains, the Trevi Fountain in Rome. These things took hundreds of years to build. Sometimes they were started by, by uh, Nonna and then Father, Papa, and then the Son would complete it. Sometimes it was three generations, the same sculpture, the same art piece. These men weren't living for just themselves. They weren't just trying to leave them. The Bible says that Saul built a monument to himself and Saul is not a great king you want to follow. Absalom went and built a monument to himself, not a great leader to follow. David served his generation and after that, and he set up, if you can live a life that goes beyond your lifetime, something that your children and your children's children can give themselves to that's the legacy the greatest legacy you and I can leave behind is not something that points to us but something that points to God a life that points to God our goal with Awaken Church is not look how great Jürgen and Leanna our goal with Awaken Church is look how great God is look how awesome God is come on let's stand to our feet I'm out of time Lift your hands high to heaven. In viaggio, il viaggio with God, on vacation with God. Father, I thank you for these beautiful people. I ask, Lord, that your presence and your power fall upon them. Father, today, help us to be people that don't run from our mistakes, don't hide our mistakes. The devil, listen, this is what I hear the Holy Spirit saying. The devil says, oh, no, 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 when you go to church, you, you, you got to fake it till you make it. You got to pretend like, not in this church, not in this church. This is a discipleship church and discipleship begins at the point of transparency. Discipleship begins at the point of vulnerability. Just all discipleship begins with honesty. We, we, you can't disciple a dishonest person. You can't disciple someone who denies that they have sin. Even Isaiah opens up with, come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, I will make them. But you've got to come to the table with God. I just hear the Holy Spirit saying, there are people you feel shame, you feel guilt. 
There are other people here, you've been living with a mask. You've been living a lie. You've been living a, a double life. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Trying to live a lie, it's exhausting. The word of the Lord to you today is take off the mask. Take off the mask. You, you're in fear. Well, well, people will judge me. No, no, we won't. There's one judge, Jesus Christ. Our job is to help unravel you. Our job is to help unlock you. Our job is to help bring healing. Our job is to help bring restoration. If you've never surrendered to Jesus, friend, the one person you can trust with your mistakes, with your shame, with your guilt, with your iniquities, with your sin, with your transgressions, with your failings, with your weak, it's Jesus Christ. He's the only one. I came to Him, Lord, depart from me. I'm such a sinful, wicked person. And He said, don't be afraid. I'm going to put you into the ministry. What? says the same to Peter, if you'll come to him, the more honest you'll be with him, the more grace and power you'll experience from him. Today's a day not to run from God, but to run to God. So if that's you today, you're saying, I need to come back to Jesus or I need to just surrender to Jesus. Would you just give me a wave of your hand and I'm going to pray for you. Thank you. Yes, I see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, you see these hands raised. Let's all say these words with these beautiful people that raise their hands. Come on, let's, let's pray this prayer together. Say, Heavenly Father, today I'm not settling for religion. It's a poor substitute for you. I want you. Lord Jesus, you are the Savior of the souls of men and women. Lord Jesus, you came to wipe away my sin so that I could be right with God, so that I could be free. Today I surrender to you. I give you my heart. I give you my life. Change me to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now. <laughs>